What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of No f- <laughs> <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. No filter with the Yolos. I'm Manu. I'm Hella. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> what a light-hearted way to start this episode. <laughs> Once upon a time. <laughs> Um, first of all, uh, like to apologize in advance if you hear any dogs barking. The dogs in our neighborhood are having a party. Um, they're all deciding to sing dog karaoke. So if you hear barking in the background, it's not our dogs, it's everybody else's. Today's, oh, do you want to say anything about last week's episode? Do you want to jump straight into this week's episode? Apologies, my wife's still new to this. What? To podcasts. Oh, yeah. Veteran. Oh, yeah. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, once again, everyone that's listening, uh, to all two of you. That's actually more um, than that. It's probably like three. No, <laughs> there's more than that. Um, but appreciate you taking the time out of your life to be able to just listen and hear what we've got to say and maybe have some perspective um, from a different couple that maybe you're not really used to listening to or just something that might be familiar to you. But again, thank you um, for those that reach out, whether it's to myself or to Hannah, then just you, you have your questions or maybe you have things that you're um, that relate to you. Just no, no judgment. Um, and that's what we are hoping to create with this space. So today's episode, we really want to talk about grief and the aspect of death and, or the passing of someone or, or the loss of a loved one. Um, that's what we want to focus this episode on, uh, the effects that it's had um, on me, on Hannah, uh, as a couple, um, and how it affected our relationships with our family um, and our social life. Mm. Um <coughs> So for us, uh, our, our first one that we, I guess, want to want to really talk about and, and really highlight, um, that was probably the the major one for our life, was probably our our very first miscarriage together. Um, oh, we should also preface this. This is going to have a trigger warning yeah. over the whole thing. There's there'll be mention of death, um, miscarriages, infertility mental health depression there's uh, like just blanket trigger warning for this whole episode that can just be in the caption somewhere yeah um <coughs> yes but uh what i won't do is, is is make this sound like a very dead episode where it's just like oh so much sadness um because that time was there and and, mm. it's, and it's i won't say it's come and gone but that time that we um, had felt the pain um, isn't as hard anymore as it was when it first happened um, but yeah it, w- it was a time where we were lost for words a um, lot of emotion um, and a lot of uncertainty for us because uh, as you know our journey with infertility it was a long one. Yeah, hasn't always been um, 
a beautiful story to to keep telling. Yeah. However, we... I, I can't remember exactly where... So, the first, I guess, classified miscarriage would have been our fourth transfer. So, prior to that, we had had two failed transfers, which means they didn't implant at all. The third one was a chemical pregnancy, so it started to progress, but then nothing happened, so it was technically negative. Then the fourth one, we ended up getting up to, I think, well, we made it to the first scan, which was about six or seven weeks. And we saw a heartbeat, but it was very slow. Um, yeah, the, the, that heartbeat meant a lot to me. Um, made it real. Yeah, seeing something, um, even though it was just fluttering, um, gave me a little bit more hope to be able to to say to, to, to myself, hey, it's working. Mm. Something's working. Um, keep at it. Try different methods. Um, but at the same time, there was this feeling of sadness because there was the unknown and there was more surety that this thing inside my wife was surely going to just die. Um, yeah. The worst part too was like that was the first time that we'd ever had like, oh, it's positive. Oh, yeah. my levels are rising like really well oh my gosh, we're making it to the scan. And then we get there and obviously you have all this like anxiety surrounding the scan because you want everything to be okay. But also you know it's super early so there's probably a possibility there'd be nothing. But then as soon as it pops up and you see the heartbeat, you're kind of like, whoa. Like, whoa. And then if anyone who goes through infertility, you will know that you get to recognize nurses faces and voices when the news is bad yeah you can differentiate between good news and bad news and it's almost this like was 2019 eh? yeah this was, this was our very first one and 2019 and this is when we um uh, and i'll tell you not not many people know this not even hannah but the reason why this one is, is the first most significant grief for me um was It was the only time I got to um, tell my mum that Hannah was pregnant. And I didn't know it was going to be the last. So, with that pregnancy, um, it was obviously the very first time that we'd ever gotten pregnant. And I remember the day that we got the call, um, we went and told my family and then we both jumped in the car and we drove up to Auckland to tell Manu's family. And we just said we were coming up for a drive just to say hi to everybody. Um, but we obviously had ulterior motives, we just wanted to let them know. So we did. And um, for anyone who follows um, our infertility journey on YouTube, you would have seen us telling our family um, that time around. So although we didn't know that it was going to end at that point, it was still so beautiful that we got that chance to share it with our families because even though we were going through it, so were they. 
and now we always have that special moment with Manu's mum um, and we'll definitely be talking about her later in this in this episode um, but when we went to the clinic and like I was saying you can see when the news is not good you just know automatically and your heart drops and I remember them saying from what I can remember they were saying that there's a heartbeat but it's very slow and it's unlikely that the pregnancy will progress um, and this was a Friday and it was before Mother's Day so two days later was Mother's Day and they said it was likely that the pregnancy would end over the weekend so I had to go for a formal scan the following week um, in my mind it was very hard to hear that that because I couldn't quite understand how I'm seeing a heartbeat but you're telling me that it's just gonna die like it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me because I can see it and if something has a heartbeat to me that means they're alive like there's no there's no end but as soon as she left that room you kind of like hold in your tears because you don't want to break down when the nurse is there and then as soon as she left I remember I just broke down and I just lay on that table crying and we got up we left sure enough with the formal scan four days later uh, our baby had passed away and I remember I was by myself I had my mum with me and I had to call Manu in the car and I just I don't quite remember what I said but I'm pretty sure it just said they're gone and I just cried and I couldn't even I wasn't even with Manu I couldn't do it I just sat in the car in silence and cried and I think that was, I mean, I'd taken all the other transfers and failed transfers hard, but that was harder because I'd seen a heartbeat. So it was alive. And I think for me, that was the start of the spiral downwards for me and my mental health and pretty much just everything in general, I think. And for me, although that was um, a, a hard thing for me, I was coming out of my dark place. And I was getting better. My, my mental health, my mental state was at a, um, at a much more stable place. Um, Hannah's and I's relationship was getting um, a lot more better than what it was. Um, so shout out to my Kava Circle. <laughs> because <laughs> it was around the same time um, but I, I do remember the feeling of just um, beginning to, to really start saying to the universe this isn't fair why why can't I just have one why, why, why can't Hannah have one and this was probably one of the moments where I really started to feel like maybe Hannah does deserve someone better. Even though I had gotten over that, that that, that feeling came back again. Um, and, and it's really strange because I remember my siblings being very sad for me. Um, and I remember calling my mum and dad and just letting them know of the news and I just sobbed. 
I literally had just told them that we were preparing ourselves to, to have a child and that they were needing to prepare themselves to meet a mini manu or mini hana. But that wasn't the news I was delivering and, and, and it was sad. Um, but I could see that it hurt my wife a lot more um, because of the amount of things that she had to do for her body um, for it to change and adapt uh, to be able to take in certain medications um, and to put her body uh, through um, pain literally just to be able to implant an embryo back inside her um, definitely wasn't an easy journey but that was definitely the beginning of Hannah's accelerated spiral to extreme mental health issues. Yeah. So around that time too, um, to be fair, I don't actually remember a whole lot of that time because yeah. I think my mind has just blocked it out. Um, but I do remember I was at a very toxic job at that time, um, yeah. which, you know, I can't say it, it did or did not contribute to the downfall of that pregnancy. There might have been a part that played. I don't know. After that miscarriage, I had to take time off because I had um, some complications resulting from that pregnancy. And um, basically my work employer told me I was a liar. I was faking it, even though I had a medical certificate to prove it. Um, and... That kind of just rubs salt in the wound because it's like why the heck would i go around making stuff up about this when i'm flipping doing every damn thing in the possible medical field to even try to have a baby why would i kill it off that doesn't make sense what just to avoid work so that of course didn't help um with that grief process because then i was trying to justify the death or loss of my pregnancy um so I ended up Manu ended up pulling me out of that job um because I just could not get out of this toxic mud yeah I just couldn't get out and trying to grieve through that is just not it's not possible nope. you can't do it so out of everything through that period that's all I remember is that job and getting taken out of that job. I don't remember how I got through it. I don't remember what I did. I just know the day that it ended and the day no, I told you. Sorry, it, that, that was later. No, no, it was that one. No, it was later. No, because the, the next one was that year. No, I, I pulled you out after mum's death. But mum's death happened not too long after that miscarriage. It was a, a couple of months. Yeah, so miscarriage ended in October. Yeah, but, but yeah, just... And then I got pulled out in February. Yeah, pulled you out, yeah. Yeah, so I was still grieving with that, but then of course, what happened with your mum, that piled on top of it too. Yeah. Which, if we're going chronologically, we had the miscarriage, and then your mum. Yeah, so September. October. October, miscarriage, October. Yep. 
November, nothing. November was nothing. We were all calm. December, a lot of drama happened at my home. Yeah. Um, which we don't need to go into. Yeah. Um, For obvious which, reasons. <clears throat> which eventually led to what happened in January. Uh, so 15th of January, uh, 2020. Um, for whatever reason, on the 14th, I don't sleep and I'm still awake, all well knowing that I have to get ready to go to work. 5am, almost 6am, I receive a phone call um, from my dad. And my dad calls me and he says, hey son, how are you? And I'm telling my dad, oh, I'm alright, I'm just getting ready to go to work. Um, I then can hear something troubling my dad. Um, I can hear it in his voice. And he's just like, hey, son, can you can you come up to Auckland? I'm not feeling too good. And I just remember saying to him, oh, dad, oh, I can't. I've got to go to work, but but I can come after. Um, and then all I remember from that conversation is my little brother Ephraim grabbing the phone off my dad saying, oh, Manu, you have to come to the Manukau police station. Uh, we can't tell you over the phone, but you need to come right now. Something's happened. I remember saying to my brother, sweet, I'll be there soon. Immediately get up, I go to the room, wake up Hannah, uh, to let her know that I need to go to Auckland. Something's happened. Um, and my whole entire family is at the Manukau police station. I immediately knew somebody had died, and, and, and I thought it was my older brother Steve. Yeah. You straight away said that to me. I think it's <coughs> about my brother. And so, at this point, um, Hannah and Hannah's mum are, are both awake and both just trying to support me as best as they can, packing my bags. No, we hadn't packed your bags yet. No, you hadn't just, packed the bags. You they just, just jumped gave in me, the yeah. car and left. Well, I went and brushed my teeth. Well, you know, you, you were already ready. I was yeah. getting ready for work. Then you told me what had happened and you needed to go. So you left. You didn't take anything because you didn't, didn't know that's right. what I, was going to happen. I drove straight up to the uh, Manukau police station. I arrived there in the morning. Roughly just after 7.30. And I just went to work. And Manu said, I'll call you when I know what's going on. And it wasn't until about, I think. It was like 10 or 11. 10 o'clock, 10.30. Um, that I finally was able to tell Hannah um, what really happened. Early morning, uh, early hours of the morning of the of 15th of January, 2020, um, my mum was shot dead, killed in our living room in Bangere. Um This has been all over the news. Um, that's why I, I, I think it's not as hard to talk about it now because I've done so much talking about it. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely the hardest time of my life, but also the most strongest I've ever been in my life. Mm. I've, I've, I never felt 
pain uh, quite like losing um, my mum the way that she had uh, had her life taken from us um, but you can ask any one of my siblings I didn't cry one tear when the news was uh, broken to me I could see my dad was broken I could see that um, the rest of my siblings had been up crying except for my older brother he wasn't um, nowhere to be found at, the, at that point um, but I just recall having this overwhelming feeling that I needed to step up and, and pretty much be the father figure uh, for my family no one asked me to do that no one ever did um, there were times where I tried to pass the ball um, but ultimately I still knew that I had to be the person to to take charge of um, our family affairs and, and what was to come next um, not going to go into too much about the the proceedings of the death and, and how the investigation all went through we're still going through it to this day we're still yet to get back into court again um, however that here, here here's, here's some of the effects that it had my mum and dad they were they weren't happily married and I, I remember calling my wife while I was working at Wintec and telling her that my mum and dad were pretty much getting ready for a divorce and I, I I remember I actually cried calling her and telling her that but they seemed a little bit more happier being apart my dad throughout the funeral um, uh, for the first time in a very long time I started to see a, a change in him where he actually remembered why he he loved my mother um, and it was sad that it took my my mum's life to to leave this earth for my dad to, to see her value or her true value um, well that's how I interpreted it anyway my younger brother Sam um, he probably he's probably gone through it the worst um, because he's pretty much he to this since that day um, he pretty much lost both of his parents um, and hasn't been the same since and and he's he's definitely struggled with his mental health um, the thoughts of suicide have, have constantly been around his mind um, and it's only been since we've moved into our new home here where he started to find his feet, relax um, and more and more now he's doing a bit too much relaxing <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but um, my younger, my sister um, Lily as some of you already know um, she was pregnant um, and she was expected to, to give birth um, and my mum was all excited about it and obviously at first she wasn't because her new boyfriend at the time still not married to this day and, and in the Tong culture it's a taboo thing however they they were going through it a, a lot especially her with her um, pregnancy and not being able to to get too emotional where something could happen to baby so we were trying to keep her calm throughout it all 
my older brother Stephen took a while for him to to actually come around and understand the impacts of his decisions and my little brother Ephraim he he struggled a lot if there was any of us kids that was um that had a very strong connection outside of Stephen and my mum it would be Ephraim Ephraim was known to be the princess of the family <laughs> um but also my mum's little um holdout buddy and then my brother David <coughs> he was adopted out of our family um, when he was born um, but it still impacted him quite a bit never really got to see a lot of my mum but he always he he's, he learned later that he was my mum's son and um, yeah I, I have a deep love for my siblings now um, than I did um, but the funeral impacted our relationship um, however the beautiful thing about grief is the people who show up and the people who gather around you to be able to support you. For me, my wife, um, a lot of people, you know, you, you see them in funerals and you see this, the partner or the husband, wife, whatever it is, they step up in, in such a way that you, you start to think that they're superhuman because they're doing things outside the the norm and it's and that's it's extraordinary you don't understand how much power or how much energy someone possesses when um they truly love you and they can see that something's happened to you but hannah's hannah's love and support she had for my family um is something that is i don't even know the the right word to use there has to be a more powerful word than meaningful. Um, but it, it was amazing what she was able to pull off for us. And she couldn't have done it without her family. Um, especially her mum and dad. And the amount of things that they were able to do for us. Um, and keeping our unit as a family um, together. Um <coughs> We had cousins there, we had my friends there, and somehow my wife knew um, when I needed certain individuals to be in with me or around me at certain times of, of the funeral. But yeah. I feel like for that whole time period, it's, I guess the year the year of 2020 for me was a very rough year um it obviously started off rough with Manu's mum passing um but that that week following 
her death was I I, d I think rough is the only way to describe it um, basically how I've always said it to whoever asks the day that Manu's mum died well, uh, my, my husband never came home so the way that Manu sees that time period is very different to me because he and you know this is a, our, a no filtered podcast so I have to be honest because this whole uh, time in our um, life was very difficult uh, and, I, and I'm going to speak on the grief process as his wife so like I said the day that Manu's mum passed away my husband never came home the man that left our house never came home So after he called me at work, I called my mum and I said, Manu's mum is gone. And she didn't quite understand what I meant. I said, she's gone. So her, she came to pick me up from work. We went home. I said, Manu has nothing. So we packed his bag. We packed my bag. Her and my dad packed a bag each. And we drove to Auckland. And we were there for a week. My mum and dad took a week off work each. With no notice. And they stayed. And they were there for my husband first. And then me. Watching my husband that week. Was very hard for me. Because I did not feel that it was fair on my husband. And why I say that is because I can probably count on two hands the amount of sleep daddy had. I can probably count on two hands the amount of times that he got to sit with his mother. I can probably count on two hands the amount of times that he actually got to grieve. Which is not fair to me. As soon as my husband got to Auckland. He was no longer a son. He was a caregiver. He was a translator. He was a police liaison. He was anything but a son and a brother. He had to take on responsibilities that none of his siblings will ever know of or understand. He had to do and see things that his siblings will never understand. He had to carry the weight of this awful tragedy on his shoulders. And he did it with such grace. He did it with... Honestly, he did it better, better than I could have under the circumstances. Where his siblings got to sit with their mother 
he had to be out with police. Where his siblings got to hang around with cousins, friends, he was out trying to stop media from reporting on things happening at the family home. Where his siblings got to go and do whatever they wanted to do, my husband was trying to figure out how we were going to get his mum to be somewhere because we weren't allowed in the family home. The only reason that his siblings got to grieve that week is because my husband didn't. And that's a very it's a very painful thing for me to admit because that was the start of a lot of resentment for me. A lot of pain for me because I am not someone who likes things to be unfair. I don't like to feel like people are being robbed of their rights, of, yeah, fairness. And so while I watched my husband sitting awake trying to figure out the next day, the next hour, the next minute, I knew his siblings were sleeping in the next room. My husband was trying to find ways to keep our family together so we could all be together to support each other in that grief process. He had to find places for us to stay. He had to find people to feed us. His siblings did not. They just simply showed up, they got to eat, and they got to sleep in a bed. I can't even find the words to describe how proud I am to be my husband's wife. The way that he loved his family when he was alone. I don't think I could ever do that. Siblings, parents or not, if I was made to be in that position, I think I would be filled with a lot of anything but what my husband was full of. When he says that I knew who he needed to have around him, it's because I knew that this was something that all all I could do for my husband was to do everything I could so that he didn't have to think more than what he had to think about at that time, which was anything to do with the police, the safety of our family, and the family home. That's all that he needed to think about. He didn't need to think about how we were going to pay for this hotel. He didn't need to think about how we were going to get things for the funeral, the, the frames, whatever it was. And I did not see anybody else in his family thinking about those things, offering to do those things. And so I knew that the only way that I could help my husband was to go and be anywhere else but around because it meant that he was no longer having to think about those things. And my mum and dad, they drove me around to a lot of those places. Um, the hotel that we had to stay in for the first few days after his mum had passed, my uncle paid for. Um, we had... And, you know, then, then they don't ever want any recognition. They don't want anything out of that. But my point is 
they showed up when there were people who had known Manu a lot longer, Manu's family a lot longer, related even, that didn't show up. And that was hard for me because Manu, Manu loves people so, so, so much. And he will love you regardless of whether or not you hurt him. If you don't show up when you should, he'll still love you. Um, me, I will, I will like you because my husband loves you. But if you don't show up for my husband, I don't really have time for you. And I think a lot of this process was very difficult because when I showed up, I expected my husband to see me and know everything's okay. You can cry. Like, I got you. I'll carry you. He didn't. He just gave me a hug and he went to do the next thing. And I was like, this isn't right. Your mum has... You've just been told your mum's your mom's passed away. I'm here now. You don't have to be strong for your family. I'm here. But he, he just didn't. And so I knew. I got on the phone and I called Sane, Ellie's wife, which we've spoken about Ellie and Sane before. And I said, sis, I need Ellie here as soon as possible. She sent him. And I don't, e I don't think he was home for longer than an hour for the next week. And they had two kids at the time. As soon as he walked in the door of our bedroom, Manu cried. And that was the first time he had cried since he had been told that his mother had passed away. And that was hours later. Hours. And so after that, I guess that's kind of when it clicked for me that there are certain people that he he needs to open up the pathways of mourning that I couldn't do. And so I called his other friends. I called Salwin. I called Ray. I don't know who I don't know how many boys I called, but I called them and I said, get everyone together and I need you here now for Manu. And they all showed up. They showed up, they stayed, and they did whatever they could to open those pathways to Manu being able to mourn things that I couldn't I couldn't give to him I couldn't provide for him and so like I said I just found ways where I could be I could take the weight off him which was to go and organize everything else so that week that week was very difficult for me just because I just felt like my husband could have had more support from his siblings and from his dad. And I'm always going to, I'm always going to remain of that opinion because they didn't see what I saw. And I won't ever forget that. But in some ways... It was good for my husband because I think if he didn't have something to keep him busy, I think the contrary could have been much worse. But then on the opposite end of that, my husband never got a chance to mourn and grieve for his mother and he still hasn't. 
And to me, that's not fair because he excused the absence of his siblings because they needed to grieve. But he didn't allow himself that same opportunity. So that, I guess, was the first... You know, I, 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 I was very sad because I love Manu's mum. Like, we, have, we had our own relationship. We had our own little things. But I think the hardest part was I was grieving for my husband and the fact that he wasn't able to grieve. He didn't have that space. He didn't have that opportunity. And I'll always, I'll always feel like that. What resulted in the following months... Yeah, that didn't help. That didn't help the way that I felt. But again, my husband, everything that got thrown at him, he took on the chin and he basically excused because of grief. And not his grief, everybody else's. But I don't think I'll ever understand how he didn't think that he deserved that same treatment from other people or that same I don't know what the word is I, I don't think I'll ever understand and, and I can't because I've never lost a parent in that way so I can't ever say I get it and I, I, I don't even think I can even be, even be anything other than supportive for my husband in the way that that happened and the way that he dealt with it which I am but at the same time I'm allowed to be angry because of what my husband didn't get that everybody else did and I don't I don't think I'll ever feel like there's any acknowledgement or if there is acknowledgement understanding of what my husband had to sacrifice so that nobody else did it's very I don't know if I'm making sense but I just know as a wife to somebody who's lost a parent which there is another wife in this situation but our I don't know what the word is our journeys were very different and in some ways I'm envious of the journey that they had as opposed to what we had if that makes sense and this is only the first week. I lied to all the listeners. <laughs> I'm a terrible mess right now. <laughs> it's been a very long time since reliving that and um, just talking openly about it. Oh, like snot's running down. <laughs> <laughs> um. I loved my, 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 my siblings and my dad so much the way that I did it um, there was a lot of reasons actually um, but some of the some of the main reasons were I wasn't here in Auckland with my mum and my siblings they were um, for instance when my mum got shot my little brothers Sam and Ephraim were in the garage when it happened. My dad was at home when it happened. My granddad was at home when it happened. 
and I kept putting myself in their shoes thinking what are they going through I also had to put myself in their shoes because I did a quick flashback of my life with my mum it was always a funny beautiful relationship with my mum um, but also a lot of heartache that I caused my mum um, and thinking about all my younger siblings all the naughty things they could do combined doesn't scratch the surface for the naughty things that I've done um, so that's that's probably why I I did so much for my younger siblings as for my older brother I don't scratch the surface for him <laughs> <laughs> he takes the cup takes the cake he takes the bakery he takes yep. it all <laughs> he took your neighbor's car <laughs> Um, but my mum loved that boy who became a man so much that uh, it's hard to really understand how someone can love somebody that keeps hurting them but I saw that with my mum and and with Stephen's relationship and he knows it and everyone in our family knows it no matter what he did no matter how many tears my mum would cry, my mum would always be there for him. And, and she has been for all of us kids. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I I somehow, in my, my brain cells, in my, <laughs> whatever the scientific name is, my <laughs> neuro... Pathogens or whatever. <laughs> um, connected all of these dots very quickly to understand that I, I needed to do my part in and be here for my family. Well, although um, Hannah has her truth, my truth will always remain the same as well. Absolutely. And... We've spoken about this at length yeah. too since then. And, and I haven't changed. Yeah. To this day, my love is still the same for my siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, I will still do what I can for them. Mm-hmm. However, I, I have changed in regards to what I do for them. Yeah. Where the whole of 2020 and most of 2021, mm-hmm. I was at their beckoning call. Uh, I, um, I was kind of just there yeah except for my me and my sister lily we we had a little bump in the road (laughs) where i just said to her you know what Uh, eventually it came down to you do you i'll do me Mm. whenever you're okay and eventually my little sister came around and apologized and we made things square again i never changed but I think, too, that's all part of the grief. Like, because of everything yep. that happened, grief affects people in different Absolutely. ways. And and I've, you know, as much as it pained me because it was my little sister <laughs> and it was just annoying <laughs> at the time, I, I always had to remember that I don't know what she feels like. Yeah. My being the only girl, and the only girl that was in her life was my mum at the time. Mm. And until she had baby mm. is when she started to, really separate herself from me Mm. there was never for me personally there was never 
uh, I'm so jealous you have a baby and I don't there was never any of that I loved baby Amu so much um, I have endless footage of me and baby Amu <laughs> and, and the amount of times where I mean, um, we were in lockdown, so... Yeah, we were <laughs> we in lockdown, so we couldn't anywhere. go anywhere. And, and to be real fair, there were, I was doing things that, you know, I, I only thought were that my mum would do mm. as much as I could do. There were some boundaries I had to stay away from. I do not want to see my my sister's breast. That's just weird. Um, And so when she was feeding, all of that kind of stuff, I was like, yeah, yeah stay there. Um. But my 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 beautiful wife and my beautiful sister in law Jane, they were uh, and my beautiful cousin Tina, man, these and three Bear. and and my freaking gorgeous cousin Bear, these uh there were others too, but I think the four main we were tag teaming they, for the first yeah, so I don't know Hannah and Jane would tag team in and out of hospital. I did day um, shift. Jane did night shift. Bear, she's always been there. She's been there from the get go, right through all um, throughout Lee's pregnancy, and then lockdown happened. There was a lot of change, mm. um, and that was from Lily's end. Tennessee, Stoolers always will be pretty much the mum of all of us in that in this generational line, um, and to this day, still makes effort. Yeah. To to message to say hi, um, drop off food. <laughs> <laughs> like today, she dropped off. Thanks for the prawns. <laughs> a lot of like a whole freaking what? That's like five hundred, uh, one kg of prawns. I don't know, but it was yum. <laughs> but anyways, that that grief, um, and, and that story, um, is is where I became the person you are today or at least you were on the your better, way yeah the better version of myself was created so i i pay tribute to my siblings i pay tribute to my dad um to my in-laws to my wife my friends and family that came near and far um ellie sunny you already know how much love we have for you um my older brother chris and his wife man just amazing eh <laughs> <laughs> just yeah my beautiful cousin Jane um my my sister Liz my little brother David being there with him was it meant a lot to us um and with us the whole time <laughs> was one of my closest doggers who's actually my uncle <laughs> Sal Weezy um <laughs> But also my cousin Vinny left his family um, in Australia to be able to come and support us throughout our time. Yeah. Um, but those those were just some key individuals that, that came through. And then on a much more personal scale, me and this dog, we, we, we only hung out at school because we were in different dorms together. Um, but we also did a little bit of music together. Um, but through our conversation of Gava, we've become so much more closer. And this boy, man, this man literally had my back throughout it all as well. And, um, 
I was actually shocked that, that he got up and did a haka. <laughs> Bro, he got. I you probably know yeah. the story now, but my dad, <laughs> my dad was like, like, "That's us!" Like when they were lowering mum into the grave, like that's us. But, we'll but do a haka, and my it. dad backed out <laughs> and made Aki lead it. <laughs> so my dog Aki man, love you man. <laughs> and then Aki comes up to me after he goes, "Bro, your dad." I said, "Mate, I don't know. All I know was he did a great job." Yep. <laughs> Shout out to all the babysitters too. That um. For the different family and friends that uh, made time to come through, whoever you are, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like <laughs> episode two needs to be grief part two. Well, well, because there's there's a lot of this that that really impacted me. Well, all I know is the probably the only one after that because you did have quite a few following like, your mum. Back to back to back to yeah, back. Yeah, but the only one for me after that was our miscarriage. Yeah. Well, see, there was, and I feel like that needs to lead chapter two of this. The miscarriage? The miscarriage. Okay. Because that one was a lot more harder. That one was a lot more difficult. Yeah. Because we saw things and felt things. Yeah, and, and it also... Was the timing of it. It was the timing... It was the effects of that week and everything that I had felt for you and for me uh, that week. It was a, I can't wait. It was meant to be a surprise for your birth. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a. There's a lot of things. It was. So I a feel lot. like there's those events alone. That'll be yeah. We'll do an if we and we. <laughs> and then following all of that. Was. Was my friend. Oh yeah, yeah, your friend then grandparents. My grandparents, my cousin. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that yeah, was yeah, that was rough. Th- it was yeah, was not. <laughs> we were kind of <laughs> like, what the hell? What else can happen? Yeah, it was not a, a pleasant journey. <laughs> and then on top of that, it was still everything ongoing from your mum. Yeah. So yeah, okay, definitely part two. We'll be carrying this on, and it's pretty juicy. <laughs> I mean, does. not juicy, but you know, it's just. We've endured a lot in the last three years alone Yeah. with grief. We've learned a lot and grown through it. Yeah. But I definitely think that the last three years is what is what has made me and you the way we are now. Yeah. I do want to also say, because um, people ask me all the time, how did you do it? I, oh, I've cheekingly just been like, I don't know. But I, I know how I did it. Because um, I'm the man. <laughs> <laughs> I I honestly um, tribute a lot of my ability to do those things. Um, my, my, my wife, her family, and what they were able to do for me. I could see it, even though I didn't always acknowledge it. Um, and I know they didn't need me to acknowledge it. It was just something that they did. And, and like I said earlier, my 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 friends and my um, my family that were able to show up for us and, and do all these small things, all those things played a huge part in me being able to to be happy that they were all happy 
that they were um, enjoying themselves being together and grieving in the way that they did and in a sense that was me grieving was through them um, mm. and you know I there's so many people that I, I, I want to like thank and be grateful for um, this is too many to count but there's so many from uh, you know I, I will mention a few my, my aunties um, Dolly and my mum's auntie Annie and their family showing up every single night to be able to do our our Taovala so we could pay respects to my mum um, and her heritage for the Tong culture um, you know they 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 were there to, to tie that up for us but it was also Sione's mum and dad the Aso family that always show up in the van and have it unloaded for us and pack it away for us the next day they'd bring it and we'd just be ready to wear it again did you know that prior to so prior to your mum passing away mm. your mum was the only one who'd ever tied it my one yeah. for me and then I remember the first night that we had to wear them at her, one of her viewings um, Shona's mum tied mine and I said to her do you know you're the first person other than Manu's mum to do this for me. And she goes, oh, really? I said, <laughs> yeah, I think that's so cool. So th these these women that were able to, to do what my mum would normally do for us. Or for them in the same circumstance. Yep. It, 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 was, it was a huge thing for us. Mm. Although I had my other, my cousins, Dina and them, all there. They were, they were pretty much a part of what we needed to be doing anyway. Mm. Um, they were doing their side of things and organising different things, um, keeping our overseas family in the loop who couldn't make it. They did a lot of the Tongan side of things yep. that I never could have yeah, done on your did. behalf. Um, the only thing I wish um, that would have happened in in the circumstances was that my a lot of bloody tears in this one eh? <laughs> <coughs> was that my mum's older sister um, who was a second mum to all of us growing up Mela was able to um, to be there The time will come where uh, I, I know we'll, we'll, me and my siblings need to be there for her. Um, she's not in the greatest of, of health conditions, um, but she still makes time for us to give us a message or a phone call. Um, so, my auntie Mele, Mele Langi. Um, yeah. No words, just too much love for her um, but yeah Hannah's Hannah's family like they're not a very rich family um, but we're rich in love but where, where they can man 
the the fine the financial aspects of different things were covered and, and they were able to support us in such a amazing way that allowed our families to to stay together um that's that's not to say that to everyone else that made time came mm. out showed love is anything less there were just certain things that people did for the bigger picture of our family being kept safe there's no comparison yeah. to the service that anybody gave to our family at the yeah. time because every piece of service or every act of service that each individual or gave act of love was what we needed from that particular person and if you had yeah. tried to match what someone else did it just wouldn't have been healing or supportive in that same way absolutely um but yeah we're not going to miss next week. We will be back with part two. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to leave you hanging. <laughs> but we've, we've, you know what, I've loved doing this episode. Um, Me too. We To be to let you guys know, we actually haven't sat down and talked like this. about any of this for a very long time. Yep. Like properly. Yeah. So, thank you. Thanks, podcast. Shout out to uh, Spotify for the platform. <laughs> uh, sponsor us. It's on Apple Podcasts too. Sponsor us. <laughs> we use your Apple laptop. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, to be continued. That's all we can say. To be continued. To be continued. Until next week. We love you guys. Love you. Bye. <laughs>